Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jeremy. If you don't know me, I'm an associate pastor here at Heritage Church. Uh, it is an honor to be able to speak to you today. Uh, and Heritage Church, what a great church. What a great church. Uh, we're full, full of great people. Um, just full of great people. Uh, from, from the top down, from our pastor, our pastor, he's such, can't say enough good about him. But I also can't say enough good about our team, the team that we're on. Right, I love being here. I love my job. I love to, to be able to work with the people that I'm able to work with. Um, huh. I've, I've, I've never had a job <laughs> that I, I, I wake up and I'm like, man, I get to work today. <laughs> right? I never had a job where my wife is telling me, stop working. Stop it. Spend some time with me. But I, I love it. Right? I, I, get to, I get to work with people here and I get to serve people who genuinely, genuinely want to see people become better. And by better, I mean more like Christ. Our, our whole goal here is to be more like Christ, okay? There are people, the people in leadership here, the people that I get to work with, lead by example in their expression of Christ. And uh, we express Jesus to a society in desperate need of him, in desperate need of him. Now, we just finished a wonderful season here at Heritage Church, Easter, right? What? <laughs> Some people say Christmas, right? Christmas is, is a great season. Oh, but Easter, man, Easter means so much to us, right? The death and resurrection of Christ, if, if that doesn't happen, his birth doesn't matter, right? His birth doesn't matter. So we, we just got done with a wonderful season here at Heritage Church. We saw and we see regularly people coming in here and experiencing the manifest presence of God. People who come in here, some expecting to meet him and some are not, they find an awesome God who cares about them personally, a God who wants them to be transformed into the likeness of his son, a God who uses people to show others the love he has for them, a savior who gave it all that we might have it all. Heritage Church is growing in numbers, it is growing in names, and it is growing in testimonies. There are people healed physically, mentally, and emotionally in here. In here. Families are restored, broken lives are made whole, and the lost are found. Addictions are broken, deep wounds healed, the people are reborn, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and radically transformed, never to be the same again. And we're just getting started. We're just getting started. We will see, we will see, minimum, 10,000 people born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we say to the 10,000, come home. Come home. We will see a region changed. Vancouver will not look different when Heritage Church, with the power of the Holy Spirit working through us, gets done with it. Vancouver will look, the landscape will be changed. We will continue to see and experience the miraculous the impossible will continue to be made possible. Churches will be planted all over the world starting in July in Cuba. The Spirit of God is alive and well here at Heritage Church. Jesus is our King. He is our Lord, our Master. He is the one we follow. Everything happening and all that will happen here at Heritage Church is credited to Him and glorifies Him alone. We don't glorify any other name other than the name of Jesus Christ. Our lives, our passion, and our desire is to glorify the name of Christ. 
This will all happen as we continue to become an ever-increasing expression of Christ in our community. Our reliance on him is not only necessary, well, I guess they're kind of both, but it's necessary and biblical. It's necessary because it's biblical, and it's biblical because it's necessary. Okay? Without Jesus, we would be lost, we would be without hope. If you would open your Bibles, please. John chapter 15, that's where we'll be today. Uh, Jesus talks about the necessity of our complete and utter dependence on him. Let me talk about the Gospel of John for a second. The Gospel of John is unique and it's different than the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic Gospels because they're similar to each other. And John, not that it's different, but it is. (laughs) It is. Uh, By different, though, I mean the the emphasis is different than that of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar. They describe many of the same events in the life of Jesus. These same events have different target audiences. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are writing to different target audiences. It would be uh, uh, like, like similar if I was trying to describe something to three different audiences. And, and, and I'm not comparing the life of Christ to a car crash. Okay, So I'm going I'm to tell you that. But if I saw a car crash in front of my house, and I had to tell the police what happened, and I had to tell my friends what happened, and I had to tell my neighbors what happened. The details would be different. I would tell the police officer the license plate number. I'll tell him the color of the guy's hair. I'll tell him what I thought he was doing. But my neighbors, I'd just say, hey, man, maybe we need to put a sign up because this guy came screaming, coming down our road too fast. Right? The, the, the event is the same. And if I was telling my friends, I'd be like, man, you know, you should have seen the way I jumped out of there. Right? Got out of the way. Car crash. I went out there. I saved everybody's life. <laughs> but, you know, my friends would think I was a hero. But uh, I would not lie. I would not lie. I would be the hero. <laughs> but we come back, right? The details, though, the details are different. Okay? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they tell, I mean, essentially they tell the same story. But the details are, are a little bit different because they're catered to different audiences. But John, John writes his t- gospel with the intent. His intent is to communicate that Jesus was and is God in the flesh. And he emphasizes the role of the Holy Spirit in, in Jesus' Jesus's ministry. He begins his gospel with the declaration that Jesus is God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he continues, he says, then he became flesh, John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is a son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John emphasize, also, he emphasizes the miraculous. The changing of water into wine, <laughs> numerous healings, feeding of the 5,000, Christ walking on water, healing of blind people, and, and raising Lazarus from the dead are some of the well-known examples found in John. Also found in John is a statement of, being, of it being better that Christ leave so the Holy Spirit can come. John 16, 7 says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That one always blows me away. Because I, I like to tell people, I try to live as if Jesus was standing next to me. 
But he's not standing next to me. He's inside of me. So everywhere I go, he goes. Everywhere we go, he goes. Sorry. <coughs> I told you I'd do my best. I told you I'd do my best. All right. Where we're going to be today in John 15, though, is the part of John where Jesus is preparing his disciples for life after he is gone. This part of the narrative happens while Jesus is preparing to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He uses a garden illustration. Imagine that. Very practical, right? Hey, I'm getting ready to go in the garden. Here's something about me that relates to a garden. Hey, use the garden illustration to talk about, about our relationship with him. John 15, verses 1 through 3. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is the one we depend on. He is the one to depend on. He says he is the true vine. He is. All right, to his disciples, they would have recognized this as more than just a garden illustration. Because what he was doing, they, they would have looked at him, these were Jews. And they would have looked at him and they would have said, wait a minute, Israel this is God in Israel. This isn't you and us. This is God in Israel. Okay? Isaiah, Isaiah 5.2, Isaiah is writing a song about God's relationship with Israel and using a vineyard. He says this. He says, Isaiah 5.2 says, He dug and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he, took, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Okay? Jesus is saying, hey, <laughs> man, I, I, love, I love Israel, okay? Don't get me wrong. But Jesus is saying, he's like, hey, Israel didn't cut it. Israel didn't cut it. Okay? They, they bore wild grapes. And I had to look up the difference between wild grapes and domesticated grapes. I had to look it up. Now, wild grapes, wild grapes, they grow and attach to anything. They require cross-pollination in order to produce fruit, and the fruit is small, and it's loosely clustered together. Now, domestic grapes grow in a straight line on a support. They do not require cross-pollination in order to produce fruit, but do need to be pruned. The fruit is larger, more numerous, sweeter, and it better fits our purposes. Okay, I personally... I like the end of August, maybe September, at the end of the like the summer grape season, the green grapes, these big giant ones. They're huge. I mean, like I've I've had like clusters of grapes that look like they're like clusters of like green plums. Right? I love them. I love them. I it's like my favorite time of year, right? Cuz like these grapes, I mean, you can ask my wife. My wife will tell you. It's like I come back I'm like, "Hey, guess what? They're cheap. They're huge, and I'm going to eat a ton of them because they're not going to be around for that long." And then she takes them from me and she feeds them to her cat. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a joke. Her cat does eat grapes. She peels them, though, because the peels are really bad for the cats, right? She does peel them. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Her name is Grace. She's great. But the fruitfulness of those in Christ, when Jesus is talking about he is the true vine, the fruit, the fruitlessness, oh wait, nope, sorry. The fruitfulness 
of those in Christ are being contrasted with the fruitlessness of Israel. Jesus is letting, letting us know, or he's letting his disciples know, that he is here to accomplish what Israel and the law were never able to do. He is here. The use of the word at the beginning when he says, I am the true vine, the use of the word I am there is I am. And that's the seventh of seven metaphorical uses that Jesus says of I am, right? He says, I am. And it goes along with the five times in John that he uses I am as an absolute statement, meaning <laughs> there are five times he used I am to directly identify himself as God in the book of John. Before Moses was, I am. <laughs> if you think the people didn't understand what you're saying, look at their reaction. They picked up stones immediately to kill him. Blasphemy. He was claiming to be somebody. He is somebody. There's seven times in John where he refers to himself as God in a metaphor. Saying, I am the true vine, is Jesus saying, I am the giver of life. The only giver of life and the giver of true life. Now, the vine is cared for by the vine dresser. The father takes care of the son. It's easy to understand. Father takes care of the son. John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I'm sorry, I'm sniffling a bunch. I'm so sorry. When Jesus says there are branches not bearing fruit, he seems to be, these, seems to be saying that there could, in fact, be people who claim to be his, but really are not. There's people that, that are attached to the vine <laughs> that are dead. And uh, the father comes and he cuts those off. These branches are removed so that there's more room for the fruit-producing branches. And those branches are pruned. The old growth is cut off so that new growth can come in and those big giant green grapes can come in. Me and my wife's cat look forward to that. <laughs> so everything, everything, everything that Jesus does in our lives is to better prepare us to be more productive for him. When we're being pruned, it's to be more productive for him. The word for pruning, the word that, that, that my father prunes, that word prune means cleanse. It's literally the word for cleanse. So we're being cleansed. And as we're cleansed, we become more fruitful. The pruning of our impurities is cut off so there's more room for the good. I cannot read plants' thoughts, but I can't think that a pruning, like you see the guy coming with these shears, you know, he's like, cut stuff off. Shears? Scissors? Clippers? Shears? It's like with sheep, right? <laughs> But it can't be a pleasant experience. And the only thing I can, I can kind of relate to is like, how many can remember when you were a kid not wanting to get a haircut? Right? Or, if you can't remember that, how many of you guys have kids <laughs> that didn't want to get a haircut? Right? I remember, <laughs> I still do, and Kara will never let me. But I tell her, I always wanted to grow a rat tail. I know, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, everybody did. You know, I was a kid, like late 80s. Right? Everybody had rat tails. I thought it was cool. We didn't have mullets where I was from. We had rat tails. Right? 
But, but I remember, like, I, and, and my parents wouldn't let me because they, they said it looked gross, and, and it probably would. But I would, I would want my hair to grow out, and I would, like, like now nah, I wouldn't want it to get cut because then I would, like, pull it, you know, and I'd have, like, a little bit, and I would think that it was really cool. But, uh, <laughs> but, but my parents eventually, they'd be like, come on, come on. And either, either my mom would cut my hair, uh, and we had those ridiculous haircuts, right? Like, uh, you know, like bowl cuts, you know? So it was like, it wasn't like faded in or tapered in. It was just like cut, you know? And some people had Vs in the back, and it was, uh, it, <laughs> like, now what were we thinking? What were we thinking? But it looked better, okay? When I was done, when, when a kid gets their haircut, it looks better than it did before, right? It looks all cleaned up. They look clean, and everybody always told them, like, oh, you look nice. <laughs> when our lives are being pruned, the bad growth is being cut out in order for good growth to occur. occur. Jesus cuts out immorality. He cuts out impurity, idolatry, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissension, division, drunkenness, and he replaces it with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruit, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says that we're, we're, we're clean, we're cleansed, or you are clean by the words I have spoken. He's saying, hey, Listen to me. Listen to me. You, you, you hear me, and that's what saves you. Listen to what I have to say. What I've told you, that's what saves you. Not, not what anybody else is telling you, what I'm telling you. He then says to abide in me. Next, next three verses, four verses. John, John 15, verses 4 through 7. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abide, the word abide here, is the verb tense of the word dwelling place. We are being told to dwell in Christ. Dwell in Christ. He is telling us that if we depend on him, trust him completely, and to be obedient to what he says. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep, you'll keep my commandments. He also says in Luke 6, 46, he asks the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Somebody can't be your master if you're not doing what they tell you to do. They're not your master. It's simple. Jesus says to abide in him. Abiding in Christ and him abiding in us means that as we seek him daily, we allow his prevailing influence to guide our lives. This, this is us being an expression of Christ. As we spend more time with him, as we read his word, as we learn more about him, okay, remember the word disciple literally means learner. Okay? So as we become more like disciples, as we learn more about Christ, we begin to act like him and we show the world who he is. Without him, Without him, we can't do anything. Now, I'm not saying nothing at all because there are unbelievers that do some pretty, 
I don't want to say good. They do some, some beneficial things. There are some beneficial things that non-believers do. They don't just lie around all day and not do anything because they don't have Jesus. They go to work. They build things, make things, things that we use every day. But what he's saying is that without him, we can do nothing of eternal value and are incapable of producing spiritual fruit. I'm sorry. <coughs> Without Jesus, we can do nothing of eternal value and are incapable of producing spiritual fruit. The branches which are not part of the vine, the ones who, cut, who have been cut off, are gathered up and thrown into the fire. Now, I, I recently tore some bushes out of my side yard and some ivy, and I, I, I strongly suggest never planting ivy in your yard. <laughs> that stuff is the worst. But if I'm pruning something, I don't like to prune it because I don't want to deal with all the mess, right? I think it would be cool to just throw it into a fire. Kind of a pyro. My, uh, my HOA would not be happy. They would not be happy if I was lighting a fire in my side yard. My neighbor might not be too happy either. But this, this throwing into a fire is a picture of judgment and the ultimate fate of the unbeliever. As believers who are producing fruit, we know that the things we have and the things we do have eternal value. And because we are attached to the vine, we are attached to Jesus, we are safe from judgment. Just like a, a vine dresser, he's not going to go out and he's not going to cut the vine up and throw it in the fire when it's producing good fruit. We're safe. We're producing fruit. We're safe. We're covered by Jesus. We're covered by his blood. Thank you. We're covered by his blood and we bear fruit to glorify him. We are attached to the vine of everlasting life. As we abide in him, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And Jesus is not saying that he's a wishing well or a genie, right? And if he was, some of the things I'd ask for would be like, hey, Jesus, can I win the lottery? That'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, you know what would happen? I would end up miserable and alone. I would, I, I, sometimes I, I, I'd ask Jesus, be like, hey, can I have this giant house? And sometimes I, I tell Kara, I'm like, man, you want to live in that house? And you know what her response is? Like, I don't want to clean it. Okay? I would ask for a house that's too big, and it would just be dirty, right? Because I would ask for the house, but then who's going to clean it? I will. <laughs> I would do my best sometimes. All right? if, I, if I asked Jesus for whatever car I wanted, it would be some, some ridiculous car right? that's too fast, and I'd either get in trouble or I'd kill myself, and then I'd crash into something. Because I'd be like, ooh, I'm going to watch this. Famous last words, right? Watch this. All right? Or I'd ask, like, hey, can I just go, over, go on vacation forever, like to Fiji, where it's warm, and I can just wear, like, shorts and flip-flops all the time and drink iced tea on the beach? <laughs> iced tea. And these are all selfish things I would ask for. But what Jesus is saying is that if we abide in him and he abides in us, what we desire is what he desires. If we desire what he desires, 
we, he will absolutely give us what we ask for. He will and does do it to glorify himself. He deserves the glory. He is the only one that does. I don't need a big house to be like, hey, look how awesome I am. Right? I've got a house, and I tell people, look how awesome Jesus is. Because that's an impossible thing that happened last year. I sometimes ask myself how I can better glorify God. How can I better be, an, be a better expression of Christ? But he tells us how to glorify the Father. The next, next few verses, John 15, verses 8 through 11. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. <clears throat> Again, I apologize. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. God is not glorified by praise and worship alone. If he was, we'd just sit in here all week. Now, there's value in, in praising and worshiping God, and we do it, and we do it a lot. There is definite value to it, but it's not by that alone. God is glorified by believers bearing, as Christ says, much fruit. As we bear much fruit, we prove to be his disciples. We prove that we are learning about him. You, you cannot learn about Christ. You cannot seriously sit down and let me learn about Jesus without, without your life changing, without your actions changing. And by doing so, by proving to be his disciples, we advance the kingdom of God here on earth. Jesus is saying that the evidence of him is the fruit. The evidence of a healthy vine with healthy branches is healthy fruit. When Jesus says to, obedient, to, to be obedient to him, to keep his commandments, it is not something that I, like we do or I do drudgingly. I don't wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I can't believe i got to follow Jesus today. I don't. I don't. I wake up and I'm excited. I'm like, man, what is God going to do today? What's he going to do? What do I get to do? What do I get to partner with? <laughs> what kind of things? Who am I going to see come home? I do what he tells me to do because I abide in his love. I know because he loves me and I love him that what he asked me to do is best for me and best for those around me. It is best for his kingdom. Now, uh, Jim, <laughs> I tell you, yeah, I used to be in the Marines you know, a while ago. I've been, I've been out of the Marines longer than I was in. <laughs> I just realized that like a month ago. I was like, man, that's such a big part of my life. But I've been out longer than I was in. I was in. I was in for nine years. I've been out longer than that. But uh, there, there's there's leadership styles that I learn about in, in the Marine Corps. Like all you, you learn how to lead. You learn how to lead. And if you're not learning how to lead, <laughs> you're out. <laughs> right? Like they. I mean, you, you can't just like stay like a, a, a private forever. You've got to advance at some point. And if you can't advance, guess what? You're out. But, uh, you know, there, there's, there's different styles, and, and then I learned about it in, in college, and Dev actually taught me, but there's different styles of leadership, and one of them is like, uh, like positional, right? Like, oh, man, 
Like like Marine Corps, or you know, like when I was in the Marine Corps. Well, I'm a sergeant. You got to do what I say. That's true to a point. Okay, and and people will for fear of like they're going to get in trouble or they're going to lose some money or they're not going to be able to go out on the weekend. They're going to clean some extra stuff. But the 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 most by far, by far. The best leadership style, the most effective leadership style is relational leadership. Relational leadership. And that means I develop a relationship with somebody, not like they're my peer, but I develop, I develop a relationship with them so that they know I care about them. And they, they know that when I, well, they know I care about them individually, and they know that I care about them as a whole. So as, as, a, as a squad or, or a platoon or my unit, they know I care about them as a whole. And that way, when I, when I ask them, and, and I thank God that I never had to do this, but when I ask somebody, get up and run over there, and they know they're going to their death. They know that it's best for everybody there because I wouldn't ask them otherwise. Jesus is the same way. It's the same way. We develop a relationship with him, and as we develop a relationship with him, what he asks us to do, we know it's best for us. We know it's best for, for the whole. I know that when Jesus asks me to do something, it's best for Heritage Church, it's best for my family, it's best for me. I find great joy in following Christ. Great joy. I've never met someone who followed Christ their entire lives and regretted it. Not once. Not once. Some of the most joyful, generous, loving, and kind people I've ever met are people who followed Christ their entire lives. People who have been obedient to him. People who have done what they said. People who have bear, bore much good fruit. Probably the only regret they would ever express would be that they wish they could have done more for him and more for others. They never say, man, I wish I could have done more for myself. It's I wish I could do more for others. I wish I had, I wish I had more time to do more for others. I wish I had more, more time to do the work of God. Their regrets, they're never, ever, ever selfish. This whole passage, this whole part, part of, of Jesus speaking to his disciples has been Jesus explaining the relationship of the believer to him. How important it is to be in relationship with Christ. It affects our entire lives. It affects our eternities. The next sections of this chapter, they talk about the relationship of believer, the believers with each other and the believer's relationship with the world. Our relationship with Christ directly impacts our relationship with each other. All right, so he starts there. He says, hey, Bear fruit for me. As we become more like him, we treat others how he would. We love him like we love ourselves. We do things that we want other people to do to us. We treat people the way we want them to be treated. We want, we want to be treated. Right? Our pastor the other night was telling us, he said, hey, you know, we, we look at other people's intentions, how we want them to look at our intentions. We're willing to express that point up to 
that love up to the point of death. Right? The next part, next part of this verse, or the next part of this, this chapter, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He said this as he was getting ready to die for us. Okay? He was preparing himself. and He's saying, hey, the greatest expression of love is that I, somebody lay down their lives for their friends. Okay? And I come from a military background, and my dad was a police officer. Right? I have friends who laid their life down for their friends. My dad knows people who, who, were, who were killed in the line of duty that laid their life down, not for their friends, but for strangers. Heroes who rush into burning buildings to pull, pull somebody out. <laughs> In complete disregard for themselves. That's why we honor those people. Because that act of love, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. As we express Christ to each other, we become a family knitted together in Jesus Christ. A family that always has room for more believers. We always have more room. <laughs> when we run out of room, we'll build more. A family rooted in love and a family that expresses that love generously. Our relationship with each other and how we express Christ impacts how the world views us. If we genuinely express Christ, we can expect the world, they're not going to be happy about it. Right? Jesus, you know, I don't know if he warns us, he just tells us. In John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Right? The world didn't, wasn't too happy about Jesus. Okay? He also says in John 16, 33, if the, if the world... <laughs> will give you tribulation. If the world gives you tribulation, take heart. Or in the world, you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. The, the world may hate us, but people need him. People need him. They need him. Our relationship with Jesus is everything. It affects everything. Our relation with Jesus impacts our relationships with each other, with, which, impacts is our which impacts our relationship with the world. I mean, it, it, it just like, like sequential, right, or, or, or systematic, right? How, 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 I, how I spend time with Jesus and become more like him impacts how I treat somebody, and then that impacts how, how, how we treat the world. We hold to the promise of our eternal destination and that Jesus not only provided the way there, but he is preparing it for our arrival. We do all we can to bear much good fruit as followers of Christ. We are an ever-increasing expression of Christ in our community. And by doing so, we glorify our Heavenly Father. glorification through expression. We glorify God by the way we express Christ. By the way we act like Christ, it, bring, it brings glory to the Father. We show the world who Jesus is 
and God is glorified by that.